0: You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast.
1: Hello, fabulous, fantastic, fearless, flightless, and featherless fact fanatics. Welcome to Good Job Brain, your weekly quiz show and offbeat trivia podcast. This is episode 64, and of course, I'm your humble host, Karen, and we are your coop of loops and snoops who sometimes talk about poop. Uh, Sometimes. 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 All the time.
2: I'm Colin. I'm Dana. And I'm Chris.
1: Super packed show today, um, in addition to our book club, Later, and our topic of the week, and our pop quiz Mm hotshot, and a bunch of stuff, I'm going to squeeze in here a special listener fan shout out. Listeners, Nick and Jessica recently got married. And uh just days ago, Jessica was rushed to the hospital where they found a brain tumor oh. and immediately underwent emergency surgery. Thankfully, it was benign. She's still facing recovery and all this before their honeymoon. Mm. So uh, to Jessica, we're all rooting for you You go girl And um, I hope our show helps bring a bit of laughter and learning To your day and during your recovery And know that you are surrounded by great company Including your friend Tom Who's the one who wrote in to tell us about your touching story From and our, our
2: brains to your
1: brains <laughs> Right <laughs> oh, oh. Alright, let's jump into our first trivia segment Pop quiz, hotshot this time, it's not the Star Wars trivia card. Yes. I,
2: I was very proud of you guys, by the way. <laughs> right. I, I greatly enjoyed listening to you guys work your way through Star Wars trivia. Is, is a hut
1: a species? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, last week I grabbed the wrong Trivial Pursuit card and actually grabbed a Star Wars, which was a, a train wreck. was <laughs> oh, no, not here last <laughs> yeah. Blue wedge for geography. What country did Indonesia gain independence from in 1949?
2: Chris, Britain. That would be my guess too. Chris Incorrect. Written. Oh,
1: yes, Dana's ah. right. Oh, that's that makes that's right. That makes mm-hmm. sense. Dutch. Mm-hmm. Pink wedge for pop culture. What movie earned 11 year old Anna Paquin a Best Supporting Actress Oscar in 1994? Oh,
0: okay.
1: Dana, The Piano. Yes, the piano. All right, Yellow Wedge. Who was the first person to sign the Declaration of Independence?
3: Uh, I believe that was John Hancock. Yes.
1: Yes. Purple Wedge. The Bloomsday Festival held every June 16th honors a character from what famous book?
2: Oh, that's from Ulysses, yes? Yes.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, it's
1: coming up. What shape is a half twist that produces a continuous loop with only one side?
3: Uh, that is a Mobius strip. Yes, uh, a Mobius strip.
1: Okay. All right, last question. Orange Wedge, what is the common culinary term for the fried thymus gland of a pig? Oh, Chris.
3: Um, I mean, is this sweetbreads? Yes.
1: Mmm, uh, fried Thymus, Thymus glands. glands. The name sounds so
0: delicious. I know. Yes.
3: Oh, no. It's, yeah. It's Neither a sweet nor like, bread. <laughs>
0: Disgust. A classic,
3: like, really pleasant <laughs> euphemism for non-pleasant things. Yeah.
2: yeah, it sounds too good. You're like, wait, why is this called sweet breads? What is it really? <laughs>
1: <laughs> All right, so this week we'll be talking about, uh, it's going to be a fun show. We're going to talk about mini things.
3: Yeah, typically when we say this is our mini episode, we mean it's like two minutes long. Mm-hmm.
1: It is a full-length show, good job, rain episode, but we're talking about mini, smaller, tiny versions of things. So here we go. This week, Honey, I Shrunk the Podcast. It's
0: a small world after all. It's a small world after
3: all. We're looking forward to, uh, to, to this segment of Collins where he's going to actually show us all of his Star Wars figures one by one.
2: <laughs> the oh, feature. no. <laughs> Let's instead start off with a story that was in the news uh, a few months ago. Uh, here's the headline uh, from the New York Daily News. JFK workers busted in theft of one hundred thousand tiny liquor bottles. Oh, <laughs>
1: really? Yeah, from <With laughs> airplanes. I right? guess. It, yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I mean, they really are kind of conducive to theft. They're so tiny, yeah, and they're fairly valuable. It's uh, if you uh, if you dig into the article and you uh, you actually read a little bit more, it becomes clear that it was it was really a hundred thousand items, a uh, lot of duty free items, is what the workers. It was actually a conspiracy between between some airport workers and some workers on the delivery services. Mm. And they were basically just lightening some of the loads of a lot of, you know, perfume and cigarettes as well. But the, the tiny liquor bottles, I think I agree with the editors, uh, at the New York daily news. It's more they,
0: sensational. It makes
2: for better copy. And yeah. uh, they did in fact find one, one of the gentlemen, uh, one of the bandits at his house, 500 garbage bags full of the tiny <laughs> liquor bottles.
3: Oh. Yeah.
2: <laughs> So it's not just, you know, like just like shoving a couple in your pockets oh, here and oh, there. No. This was a coordinated theft. I mean, it was wow. $750,000 worth of stolen goods.
1: What were they going to do with it? Were they just going to drink it?
3: I'd fence
2: it, I'm guessing. I would imagine.
1: Yeah. Yes. Just you can't find really secondary
3: sell. market for. It. Well, oh. The,
1: the, oh. These, no, these guys can did find not somebody
3: <laughs> yeah. to sell it to and yeah. yeah.
2: That wasn't really the goal to speculate on how we can make money stealing <laughs> tiny liquor <laughs> bottles. Oh, um, but I am interested in the tiny liquor bottles and I'm sure I'm like a lot of other people where I first got fascinated with the tiny little liquor bottles, because my dad had a collection of them. But yeah, I mean, I remember as a kid, like, being on flights, like, it's like, oh, hey, Mom, you know, have you ordered this one yet? You know, like, I just, I had this <laughs> oh, subconscious <yeah. laughs> desire to see the collection grow, even yeah, though yeah, I couldn't yeah. contribute to it. Right. <laughs>
0: She's like, are you trying to
2: get me drunk <laughs> so Yeah, so I'm sure it looked so suspicious at the time. You know, if you encounter these tiny liquor bottles, like, these days, it, it, it's overwhelmingly going to be in one of two places. You're, you're on an airplane, or the hotel mini bars, yep. you know, it's yep. a big place. The bottles, like, they, they they really started off their history. I mean, this isn't any crazy, complicated, weird history. They started off as samples. You know, most of the liquor companies would oh. make smaller versions in various sizes as samples to give away, either, oh, okay, to, either sure. to, the, as, to the distributors or, you know, giveaways to frequent customers. It wasn't anything crazy about it, but they, they found an amazing life on airplanes. I mean, mm. I think all of us, even to this day, you know, it's funny that you said, well, aren't they complimentary? And it, it's hard to remember now in the early days, they really were complimentary like all the way down into coach, even for a lot of airlines with, well, with the full fare of your ticket. Yeah,
3: flying you, on an airplane was very expensive and it was... I mean, people wore suits to, to fly an airplane.
2: You know, very quickly, you can see, like, if you're serving drinks, especially Whoa. something that's on a drop-for-drop basis more expensive than soda, yes. it's going to be cumbersome pouring out of a, you know, a giant bottle of shivas or something on, a, yeah. on an airplane. Right. So the, the little tiny bottles make sense for so many reasons. Like, it's they save weight, they save space, there's no waste, and you can price them individually. It's like, here mm. you go, throw it at the customer. You're not pouring a shot of liquor.
3: Nobody's going to get into an argument with the flight attendant that she's not pouring enough liquor into their glass at 30,000 feet. It
2: it just makes sense. As airlines started cutting costs, this is one of the first and easiest things to cut as well. Free liquor is easy to cut costs to free liquor and coach, and then it kind of worked its way. And so what what tickles me is, you know, doing some of the research on these is now the the alcohol beverage uh, industries have kind of come full circle again now, and they've really rediscovered the value of them as straight out samples you know especially because so many of the brands are diversifying oh yeah are diversifying. different flavors yeah you've got cherry bourbon and honey whiskey and you know peach vodkas and all kinds of crazy flavors and it's a good way of you know well i know the brand sure maybe i'll try their crazy flavor for 99 cents or a yep. dollar for yep. a couple ounces and it's a it's a good way for them to market on wary consumers perhaps of course, there's also some more nefarious uses for these bottles. They're easy to sneak into places where you maybe are not supposed to have uh, Movie alcohol. theaters! Sporting events, Concerts. movie theaters, right. Right, right. Barbecues, fuzz. But really, what cracked me up the most in my looking into just the awesome history of liquor minis is the crazy relationship that South Carolina used to have with mini liquor bottles. And this just opened my mind to some crazy avenues of how liquor laws in this country have evolved over the years. So, you know, there were a lot of vests after Prohibition, after the end of Prohibition. You know, as you guys know, we've talked about before, a lot of states had various uh, blue laws to certain extents limiting alcohol. You know, a lot of times it was you can't buy liquor on Sundays. is very common, you know, and these were mostly states in the south, uh, Utah as well. South Carolina had some of the weirdest requirements I've ever heard from 1933. When prohibition ended up until 1973, you weren't allowed to sell liquor, like meaning hard liquor in South Carolina by the drink. So if you wanted to drink whiskey, vodka, whatever it is at a bar, you would bring your own liquor to the bar oh. and they would supply the mix-ins and all the supplementary oh, B-Y-O-B, stuff. BYOB. It yeah. was BYOL. Right. Exactly. Yeah. 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 You would BYOB to the bar. They would mix it up for you. They would supply the ambiance and the environment. Wow. But they couldn't pour you drinks of liquor. Uh, In the 70s, people uh, started getting worried about over-drinking, drinking drinking and driving. There were still a lot of religious overtones, people who just didn't approve of drinking for whatever reason. So the South Carolina voters passed a law that, okay, you can serve liquor by the drink in bars, but it has to be in pre-measured,
3: predetermined
2: amounts that are capped at a fixed amount. So we know – quote, people aren't drinking too much. Huh. So South Carolina in 1973 then started serving liquor in bars, but it had to be by the mini. So if you were to go drinking in South Carolina, you would have tons and tons and tons of little tiny mini liquor bottles. Huh. And it sounds crazy to order you know, a whiskey at a bar and the bartender opens up a little tiny airplane sized <laughs> bottle. Yeah. But that's literally what was going on in wow. South Carolina. the the average mini is about 1.7 ounces, 50 milliliters. Is that like a shot? Well, that was, that was equivalent to one drink, one shot. That's right. And what's funny is that the law was proposed as a way of moderating alcohol income and intake rather, but, it very quickly became the case that in any other state that had self pouring, the average shot was about an ounce, one point two ounces. Mm-hmm. Whereas South Carolina, you were fixed at that one point seven ounce, and if you got a double, that was two one mm-hmm. 1.7s. So South Carolina quickly became known for having some of the strongest drinks in the nation because <laughs> it was fixed at this sort of the upper limit of a large size shot. Huh. It was not until two thousand five. <laughs> that someone noticed it. Uh, this law was on the books until the end of 2005. Holy cow. So it's just been, you know, not even 10 years that you can go into a bar in South Carolina and get a drink poured, you know, normally compared to uh, many other bars. And then, of course, there's the question of, well, now are the drinks less strong in South Carolina than they used to be? And I would say yes. that depends bar to bar. That probably yeah. depends place <laughs> to place where you go. So South Carolina. Wait, so this
1: whole time from the 70s. From 70s until
2: 2005. Serving mini bottles. That's correct. Mm-hmm. Liquor in South Carolina in a public venue was always poured of these little tiny bottles huh. and it just sounds comical. There are reports of people who are like, yeah, my whole time in college there, you know, or my whole my whole professional oh. <laughs> career there. So you go yeah.
1: to a bar, it, behind the bartender there's like big bottles, beautiful bottles of alcohol that you can point and say, but they're just little bottles. Well, you know, right. You would For say show.
2: <laughs> right, right. I don't think they would keep the whole inventory up on the shelves behind them. Voter approved law until 2000. Wow. <laughs> it seems wasteful to use so many bottles. Well, right. you know, it's funny. That was yeah. a big push actually. That was a big part of it. Like, like, one of the things was like, you know, look, it's 2005. Not only is this silly, but these are just clogging up the landfills. Mm-hmm. And some of the lawmakers arguing, like, they, they would bring pictures and things. It's like, look how many of these tiny little bottles these bars are throwing out every night. This is just outrageous. Mm-hmm.
3: Well, I have a quiz themed around the subject of things being smaller than usual. It's called Tiniest... Tunes. Uh, oh. and as you may know there is something of a trend in uh, in, in cartoons uh, to produce a cartoon spin-off of something um, <laughs> where the characters are aged down, yeah. yes, baby versions. Famously, or... of course, Muppet Babies, which actually is is credited with kicking off the trend. Yeah, that was um, the earliest one I
2: could think huh. of.
3: Yes, yeah. uh, and so beginning with Muppet Babies, we actually saw a whole lot of cartoons uh, have uh, versions in which the characters were uh, were aged down. And so I'm going to name some so uh, cute. some cartoon, mostly uh, animated cartoon franchises. Uh, definitely some movies, um, maybe mm-hmm. some comic books and things like that. And I will tell you the uh the version in which they are older then you tell me the version in which they are younger okay all right. all right oh let me first ask this question uh the show muppet babies was actually based on a scene in what feature film oh
1: Huh. I would assume a Muppets movie. It is. Yeah. Do you want to guess which Muppet
3: movie? I'll just... Muppets Take Manhattan. It is, yes. Yeah, oh, wow. so there's a scene, there's a scene in Muppets Take Manhattan in which uh, Miss Piggy imagines what it would have been like had she grown up knowing Kermit, and ah. they show them all those babies. All right. Scooby-Doo. What is the name
0: oh.
3: of the show in which Scooby-Doo is... Younger, uh, yeah, yeah, man.
2: Scooby-Doo so I know he has the, the, the small
0: sidekick, but that is not- Scrappy yeah, Doo, but that is a
3: separate character. Yeah, this is Baby Scooby Doo,
0: Scooby Babies.
3: All
2: right, man, I cannot remember
1: Puppy Doo. <laughs> uh, you know,
3: close. It is actually a pup named Scooby Doo. Oh, <laughs> see? I do yeah, that. See, yes. you do remember okay. it. All right, Puppy um, Scooby Doo. Indiana Jones. <laughs> oh, Karen.
1: The Adventures of Young Indiana yes. Jones. Yeah, yeah all right. <laughs> that's
3: right. Yeah. The Flintstones.
1: Oh, I didn't know that was... Again, it's all all
3: some variation on this young Indiana Jones or Muppet Babies, but it's like, what specific variation? The Flintstones. Oh, gosh.
0: In college? You might think of the,
3: the theme song of the Flintstones vitamins for the answer to this one.
0: Oh, Flintstone Kids. Yes, uh, the Flintstones uh, Kids. Yes. Flintstones.
3: Now, this also introduces, as with the Muppet Babies, continuity errors because mm. these characters were not supposed to have actually known each other as children. Right. Uh, yeah. But yes, yeah. right. so, yeah. Looney Tunes. <laughs> Karen, uh, Tiny
1: Tunes. You
3: have fallen Adventures.
1: into my trap. <laughs> you fell
3: right into the trap that <laughs> yeah, Dana that actually, actually anticipated before this began. I could see it the look on her face.
0: I was like, wait a minute. Those aren't actually Bugs Bunny. You are absolutely, absolutely oh, it's- correct.
3: In Tiny Tunes Adventures, the, the original... Original characters like Bugs Bunny, etc., are all in there. They're same age. Mm. It, it just revolves around the younger kids that they teach at Acme University. Uh, yeah, so. That is my- so, however, there is a show in which Bugs Bunny et al. are younger. Do you know what that is? Mm.
1: Looney Babies. <laughs> <laughs>
3: it's called Baby Looney Tunes. So imaginative. Um, Tom and Jerry. Huh. Oh, yeah. I don't remember that
1: one. I think <laughs> I do because they had big heads. Uh no, it's they yeah, other kids like yeah. chibi style. Similar similar Little Tom connection. and Little Jerry. No. <laughs> Tiny Tom, Tom, Tom and Jerry kids. Tom and Jerry kids. That's <laughs> it. Uh
2: the <laughs> X-Men. Oh well,
1: well uh, um actually mm. the Well the, there's the high school version. The X kids. Yeah.
3: <laughs> I'm thinking of uh specific stories that are actually in the X-Men comics occasionally. Oh. There is actually a uh, a, uh X-Babies.
0: No. Up oh, that's
2: right, really? that's right. Really? They're really disturbing. Right, yes. Because, uh, yeah, there's like baby Cyclops, and it's like, he's in his he's the same uniform, his grown-up uniform, as we just shrunk him down to like toddler yeah. size. Yeah. I mean, comical toddler. It, they're they're really weird. I have seen those.
3: Ex-babies. Um, Cyborg Beast Boy et al. Karen.
1: Teen Titans. Teen Titans, uh, yes. I
3: didn't mention Robin, because that would make it too Yeah, yeah yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah, 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 Finally, Yogi Bear. <sighs> What was the name of the cartoon that featured Yogi Bear and his house <laughs> aged down.
2: I'm going to guess, like, Yellowstone or Jellystone Playground or Jellystone Kids or something.
3: That would be good, but no. Mm. Uh, Bears. No, no. Yogi no, Bear Jr. No, no, no. no, the name of the show was Yo-Yogi. Oh, oh no. no. Also, and, and finally, this is a show uh, in which the characters started out young and they were aged up. Uh, so I'll give you the name of the show in which they were aged up and you tell me the show in which they were young. Uh, the name yeah. of the show in which the characters were... 11 and 12 years old, was all grown up.
1: Oh, what my is rats. That?
3: Yes. Oh. oh. Yes, indeed. Huh. And that is the tiny cartoon quiz.
1: Nice. nice. That's good. I cannot not talk about food. And I, I came across this term. I want to refer back to a previous episode. I believe, Chris, you talked about the Cadbury cream egg. I did. And how throughout the years, people were kind of like, Hmm. Did these shrink? They right, seem right. a little bit lighter. And but Cadbury's like, no, you're just an adult now, you know, versus <laughs> a kid. <laughs> and then finally, they realized they Someone announced blew that. the lid
3: off the off scandal.
1: The size is smaller, but oh. only by a little bit. So over the years, companies have been downsizing their products in a sneaky way for for a while. I'm not talking about companies introducing like a smaller size or a smaller version mm. of an item and and call it like, oh, here's the smaller version. The fun size. Yeah, the fun size. It's, it's not that because that's on purpose. Here is a smaller item mm. for you. This is sneaky kind of, you know, making something lighter, or making something less voluminous, and then passing it off as its original version or it's original self. There is a term for this. It's called grocery shrink ray. <laughs> and this was f- oh. first coined and used in um, the consumerist would document and notice and have people mm. write in. Here are a few examples of products that have shrunk. Bounty. From 60 towels to 52 towels. Just 8 towels difference. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Purina dog food, 20 pounds to 18 pounds. Sure. Glad trash bags, 96 bags to 80 bags. Mm. Skippy peanut butter, 18 ounce to 16.2 ounce. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm
2: and not to put too fine a point on it but the 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 outrage is that the prices don't always go down with a commensurate yes. amount. <laughs> right. Well the whole
3: the whole point of it is that they don't want to raise their prices so the only way to cut costs is to lessen the amount that you get.
1: The issue here is that a lot of these products still have the same price tag and this of course angers or, or annoys a lot of consumers you know the principle of Hey, wait a minute. I'm paying more dollar per volume unit. And here's a sneaky thing, too. Um, Tropicana orange juice, they went down in fluid ounce to seven fluid ounce, but they do a lot of products do things to kind of disguise it or mask it. So Tropicana, uh, introduced the easy pour lid and it's like, <laughs> Oh, it's a new design. Oh, right. So hopefully people won't notice that in the fluid ounce, it's gone down <laughs> a little bit. There are a couple of reasons why this happens. Obviously, number one, profit, right? They don't want to raise the price right. of an item. Yeah. Um, so they decrease the amount. There might be a portion demand, and we see this with a lot of um, snack foods, like the hundred calorie packs, or mm-hmm. um, even the cream egg going down. Like people are very, very conscious of calorie numbers. So right. if you give them a round number, like a hundred, people are probably more attracted to just the easy hundred calorie right. item. If you can mm-hmm.
3: knock your item down from three hundred and ten calories to, to three hundred and ninety, yeah, yep. now it's like you went down a hundred calories.
1: Yeah, range. yogurt has been an interesting example because it, back in the day, yogurt was probably maybe. 140 and then went down to 120 and now right. they're around 100 um, and then now they're down to 80 yeah. and they're like oh yogurt's so healthy it's like no they're giving you less yogurt right. Yeah, Right.
2: well I think we've also talked on the show before specifically with regards to Coca-Cola <laughs> That they sell a lot more of the hundred calorie cans than they ever did when they marketed them as the, you know, eight ounce the or seven, seven and a half ounce mm-hmm. cans, yep. right? Yep.
1: It's, it's a easier unit for people to understand or health conscious consumers mm. to understand. Um, another reason is to make up, I mean, like, like profit, it might not just be, Oh, you know, we want to make more money. A lot of the things may be, um, a, a cause and effect. So for Skippy peanut butter and actually Peter Pan peanut butter. So peanut had a rise in cost. And so, to mm-hmm. offset that, they downsized uh their peanut butter volume and and still charge people the same amount as mm-hmm. they did and so and it's funny because obviously a lot of these consumers have written in to companies complaining about this stuff, mm-hmm. and some of the excuses are really funny um one notable potato chip company, their spokesperson, said that uh They needed to reduce the amount of chips per bag because the chips were going stale in the bag design. If the
2: company line is, we're reducing it for your own good, they're probably lying. Yeah. Yeah.
1: (laughs) They also introduce, sometimes the packaging is exactly the same. They just have to change a little small print, right? Mm -hmm. But sometimes the packaging is different. And some of the packaging, especially with shampoos or hygiene products, they, it looks bigger,
2: right? even oh, though yeah. the volume
1: is smaller. Right, right. Curvier bottles to look like there's more volume, but really mm. there's there's less. Obviously, if companies are reintroducing package and a new size, You have to factor in a lot of the manufacturing costs too, right? They have a new production. If you're putting less yogurt, then you have to recalibrate machines or have a new package. Those easy open
2: cans don't design themselves. So
1: there you go. The groceries shrink ray. Next Mm -hmm. time you go to the supermarket, you might notice that maybe your ice cream is a little bit lighter or your Cadbury cream egg is a little bit smaller.
3: They might try to tell you you're crazy. (laughs) (laughs) And And maybe you are.
0: So for our episode on um, little things and, and miniatures, I'm going to talk about the smallest type of dogs. Yay! <laughs> they fall under the category of toy dogs. I'm toy so dogs. excited. They also fall under the couch.
2: They fall under the Oh, no. <laughs>
0: They're also called companion dogs by um, some kennel clubs. And there, were, there was kind of a push to change the name of toy dogs to companion dogs because ah. they want to frame it as these are... These dogs are your friends. They're not toys. Oh, Oh, wait. So is
2: toy dog like no longer PC? Like that was the term I always heard.
0: They were going to try to change the name. They tried to change it to companion dogs, but people were like, I still like toy dogs. So they didn't change it. But I thought that was an interesting thing that came up there. Um, People's lap dogs, they're hunting dogs, they're convenient pets. Most toy dogs actually fall under those categories, either being hunting dogs or companion dogs. And so I'm going to give you the names of toy dogs. And you tell me whether you think they're a companion dog or a hunting mm, dog. Okay. Oh, Okay. And for some of them, I have interesting stories. I think interesting stories about what they're up to.
1: Okay. One finger for companion. How about
2: two for companion because they're together? Two things oh, together. Yeah. And okay. the fingers. Oh yeah. One are friends.
1: Gun. Yeah. <laughs>
0: and then again. Hey, <laughs> that'll get you suspended from school these days. Chris. Yeah. Seriously. So here we go. You ready? The first toy okay. dog, Chihuahua. Is it a companion dog or a hunting dog? What would it hunt?
2: I mean, I think uh, that's going to be the question for any of these though,
0: right? Yeah. <laughs> All right, so Colin and Chris say hunting, hunting dogs. Karen says companion dog. It was raised as a companion dog. Yeah. yeah. So there there's some stories about it hunting rats, but they didn't actually use it for that. There's mm. some dogs where they actually specifically were used bred it mm. to to hunt. How about the Australian Silky Terrier? Everybody says a hunting dog, yes. It hunts rats and snakes. It was bred to hunt. Wow. Most, mm. I think
1: most terriers are for
0: for rat or pests. Oh, see, I was going the
2: other direction. I was going to say most things from Australia
0: are to hunt something. <laughs> oh, that's <laughs> true. Oh, that's true. A Bichon Frise. Oh, man. Everybody says companion dog, yes. It's a companion dog. It's... But it's a companion dog for sailors. People oh. would take it on a boat in all times. Oh. Oh. Uh, I guess so it's... it's like working... As a friend? Well, it's kind of like, you know, like like the Dalmatian,
2: you know, with the firehouse. Okay.
0: An English toy terrier. English toy terrier. Okay. Colin says a companion dog. Karen and Chris say a hunting dog. It's a hunting dog. Yes. So terriers, yes,
2: are mostly hunting dogs. Uh, I knew they were. I I, I was thinking like, oh, maybe it's a toy version of a hunting dog.
0: The Havanese from Havana, Cuba. I have a theory. All right. Whoa. Colin and Chris say companion, Karen says hunting. It is a companion. Oh, dog, darn I'm it. curious what the theory was.
1: I thought like uh, in Cuba or tropical places where they have a sugar cane farm, there might be like sugar cane snakes or some uh, sort of pest and like a like a dog can go that's through. That's and- an interesting theory. Mm-hmm. The dog is the
0: cutest thing in the world. Oh. So- How about Pugs.
2: I... It's one or the other. There's no <laughs> well, it is. Yeah. Uh, well,
0: yeah. I, I, well, I'll explain in a second. Alright, so Colin and Chris say hunting. Karen says companion. It's a hunting. It's a guard dog. Like it, it guarded things, and it kind of. Maybe it's
3: not such a good hunting dog because it has a really short snout, right? So it probably can't smell. Sniff.
0: That's what. Well, see, dogs.
2: I was thinking that it wasn't like strong enough, like with its jaws, but that maybe it could like hunt out, like I don't know, yeah. or... truffles or something like that. That's why I was being <laughs> cagey tra- about. You know, truffle pugs. I
0: guess,
2: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think pugs to me like like are the epitome of ugly
0: cute. They have all sorts of health issues. Too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because of their noses. How about toy poodle? Oh. So, Colin and Karen say hunting. Chris says <laughs> companion. Your it's a hunting dog. The oh, normal really? poodle. It's a water retriever. If you were hunting in the water stuff, Oh wow. would go out and get mm. it. Yeah. How about a Pomeranian? Mm. Okay, so Karen and Chris say companion dog. Colin says hunting dog. It's a companion dog. Yeah, it was too yeah. cute. Too cute. Like little <laughs> cat. <laughs> All right, last one.
1: The King Charles Spaniel.
2: Oh, I don't know if I know those. You know them. All right, I'm just going to go with whatever Karen says. King
1: Charles Cavalier. Karen sings confidence. It's it's Charlotte's dog from Sex in the City. Oh. It's like a little cocker spaniel. Okay. Everybody says hunting dog.
0: It's a hunting dog. But, so it still has its hunting instincts, but it's very low energy, so it's actually. Oh, okay.
3: okay. They've read all the hunting (laughs) instincts, but then
1: he's just like,
3: I don't want
1: to do it. Good job, you guys. All right, let's take a break and we're going to jump into our Brainiacs book club segment where we share our favorite book picks from Audible. Um, our favorite books dealing with, you know, trivia and facts and, and interesting histories. And, and so my pick, I love Disney and Disney parks. Yeah. And so one of the interesting books I, I read and actually listened to as an audiobook is called The Dark Side of Disney. Here's a little disclaimer. It is not for kids, it is definitely there is some adult materials there. Oh, um, not in trees. Yes, it's a how to have fun in Disney as an adult. Oh, okay.
2: So probably and, not sanctioned by the Disney Corporation. No,
1: not at all. Um, there is a lot of tricks and scams or things that maybe <laughs> you can do, but there's also a lot of stories and tales of people trying to uh, scam their way in and get kicked out. You know, I shared the story about um, someone who snuck in to take pictures of abandoned uh, parks and and Mm -hmm. structures and so a lot of different weird eccentric things that you can do to have fun in disney that's not necessarily family friendly Hmm. it's from a blog so the way it's written as i'm reading it it's not perfect reading material but it does make for a good audio Mm -hmm. book because it's more you know how people would describe things you know orally and casually uh versus even when you're reading it's a little bit hard to read but definitely very interesting and uh very intriguing. Hmm. Yeah. So there you go. Oh, uh, right. Dark Side of Disney by Leonard Kinsey. All right.
2: Well, one of my picks for our Audible Book Club is uh, one of my favorite books uh, in print, going way back, is Fast Food Nation. Oh yeah, by Eric Schlosser. It's everything just behind the world of fast food. I mean, particularly in America, and it there's a lot of dark sides to fast food culture and corporations, as you can imagine. But even if you don't actually like fast food. It's just an amazing uh story of Mm -hmm. technology and science and demographics and corporate history, just everything about how the food is made, how it's put together, how the companies copy each other and try and outdo each other. It is
1: very American. When you think it's a distinctly
2: American iconic industry and it really yeah, yeah. So that is on Audible as well.
1: Okay. My Audible book
0: is um Let's Explore Diabetes with Owls. It's the latest David Sedaris book and he writes autobiographical stories and he's really into weird stuff. I think would strike a chord with any of (laughs) us and possibly some of our listeners. So one of the things I learned was that you are not allowed to have taxidermied owls or birds of prey in America and in France. You can't in France either. And he said he found like albino um peacocks and all sorts of other he's really into taxidermy stuff <laughs> so <laughs> that comes up and then it made me look at up, look up um the thing about the owls so like even if you find an owl by the side of the road and you want to get it stuffed you're not allowed to you have to get rid of it only museums and schools are allowed <laughs> and it's funny it's a funny book
3: so a little while ago, I read a book called The Billionaire's Vinegar, which I think that, that our listeners would really enjoy. It is a, it is a nonfiction book. It is a, it's about <laughs> super, super high-end uh, wine. Basically, it starts off uh, at an auction at which a bottle of wine... Uh, purportedly from the 1700s and purportedly from the Whoa! collection of Mr. Thomas Jefferson was auctioned. You know, still this still-sealed bottle of wine. Ooh. And from this auction... No, Karen, wine doesn't go bad.
1: Uh, I mean, it's it, 200 it, it, it years sometimes,
3: old. Sometimes wine goes bad, but if properly stored, okay. it doesn't go bad. But still. Unless something goes wrong. It talks about the, the super, super high-end wine world from, you know, super high-end wine auctions to the type of people who spend $10,000 on a bottle of wine and drink it. And then we just meet all of these various characters and people researching these bottles of Chateau Lafitte that was supposedly owned by Jefferson, trying to research Jefferson and researching the winery itself. And like, Mm -hmm. you know, could it be possible that he really owned these bottles? And then what gets introduced into the story is the possibility that the bottles, were faked, you know, and oh. so like, how do you tell all of that kind of stuff? It is, it is a, it's a thriller. I mean, it's really a. It's thing. also uh, hits your buttons, Chris. Oh, totally. Yeah. I like <laughs> appraising
1: I like, things. Yeah, appra- yeah,
3: Oh no, it, it, yeah. Oh, in that case too, it totally does. You know, things. Oh yeah, things I didn't mean drinking. drinking. I didn't mean <laughs> drinking. I mean, <laughs> I mean, I mean both. Things. I mean both. I mean I mean collectibles, collectibles, <laughs> yeah. and drinking, and brilliantly written, and so it really it hits all those things, and I would really heartily recommend it.
1: The billionaires' the vinegar. The
3: billionaires' vinegar. Yeah. Oh.
0: Kat and Jethro, Box of Oddities. That is really mysterious.
3: Join Cat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth for the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected,
0: as they lift the lid and cautiously peer inside the Box of Oddities. The Webby Award-winning Box of Oddities podcast from Airwave Media.
1: All right, welcome back to Good Job Brain. And this week, we're talking about all things mini, small, and tiny.
2: Well, you know, a lot of mini things, despite how they're marketed, aren't as fun as the full-size. They insist on calling the fun-size candy bars at Halloween, and it's like, well, they're smaller, I'll grant you that, but I'd much rather have a full-size candy bar than a fun-size candy bar. But there's one thing for me that I absolutely, hands down, prefer the miniature version to the full-size, which is miniature golf.
1: Yeah!
2: Like, I go and play, you know, full-size big boy golf, and I'm not very good at it. I try not to let that <laughs> bother me, but I... I love miniature me golf. Me too. I,
3: only, I just play miniature golf. That's real golf for me.
2: And surprisingly, there's very little skills transfer between the <laughs> two. Yeah. Mm. You don't encounter a lot of 70-foot tall windmills yes. out on the course of real <laughs> golf.
1: cutting <laughs> yeah. real big boy golf had like a giant sphinx and a clown whose mouth opens mm. like that sized up and scaled up I would totally oh, you watch know
3: yeah. yeah I would do that yeah. I, would, I would play that game
1: that's yeah. the only reason I played so where did it come from Colin by all accounts
2: this is a American phenomenon of just the modern miniature golf course
3: originally they had like small putting courses in Scotland
2: they did you yeah. know Then they did There, there is and I should say there, there is in fact a tradition of smaller kind of obstacle based courses yes. it was kind of sort of the inspiration was hybridizing some of the little obstacles and gates and pathways yeah. and the there were. There was even some uh, commercial version uh, called Golfstickle. Yes. <laughs> yes, as uh, as far back as the turn of the century. Our like our something well, different. The, uh, Doc <laughs> got back golf <as> Golfstickle. <laughs> uh, how are you holding your club? <laughs>
3: Um, I actually, so i had heard that these, the the very, very early ones were aimed at women because um, the societal convention said you, you know, women shouldn't be raising their golf clubs any higher than their shoulder, basically. Yeah. So, you know, you do a little putting course for them so they can not. That's right.
2: Either either for quality. genteel reasons or for practical reasons if they may not be
3: able to, and they're tightly fitted. Right. <laughs> yeah, it yeah. Might not be possible,
2: but no, that's right. There were, in, you know, some that were marketed mm. or, or not marketed. Some were designed with women in mind, things right. like that. Mm. Um, but, but
3: there were no, there were no chomping gaiters right. <laughs> right, right, in the 1700s. Right, right.
2: There was a man named James Barber. Uh, in uh, he lived in North Carolina in uh, in the early 1900s, and a lot of people credit him with sort of the first wacky, elaborate course he he created a course now the only reason i would say that he's not sort of the the modern father of miniature golf is that this was one thing it was it was it was on his estate essentially Mm -hmm. he had enough room on his you know private estate okay and it was kind of invitation only like if he liked you or wanted to show off this thing Mm -hmm. or he was having a garden party or a you know a newspaper reporter happened to be there it really took uh until the 1920s for a man named garnett carter who made this a thing and made it an American runaway phenomenon. Mm -hmm. So uh, Garnet Carter, he had uh, built a resort in Tennessee called Fairyland and it was a themed resort, you know, sort of spiritually similar to like a Disneyland theme park. In that, it was, yeah, marketed more as a vacation resort destination as opposed to an outright day trip kind of place. Mm -hmm. Um, But one of the things that he built in Fairyland was uh, an attraction that he originally called Dwarf Golf. Oh. It quickly became known as Miniature golf. I think it's just yeah. it's a better better name anyway. Yeah. Uh, he built it as an addition into Fairyland and it and it had mechanical contraptions. Oh. It was fun and weird and kooky and bright colors. And here's what's interesting, though, is that he designed it for kids. This was an, like, oh, this is a thing for children to play. And it was sure. really elaborate. <laughs> and he very quickly noticed there are a lot, a lot of adults playing this yes. thing yeah. to right. the point of crowding kids out. And they're <laughs> better at it than the kids are so well, they can move yeah. through it faster. But, so from this one original course on his Fairyland Resort in Tennessee, he, he christened the industry. He started the business as Tom Thumb Golf, which was, uh, again, yeah. uh, yeah. yeah, pretty Kid. good marketing, right? The so this is how popular this was. So he set up a, a, uh, a company and a factory that produced a lot of the equipment that you need to set up the course. So it was very much like a turnkey
3: operation. Oh, so you could franchise it yeah.
2: and build it That's out very so easily. Smart. It was very smart. And credit does actually need to go here very quickly to a man named Thomas Fairbairn, whose claim to the world of miniature golf was he came up with the artificial turf
3: that yep. would oh. simulate grass
2: right. in like, all of the earliest courses. You don't have to
3: plant grass anywhere. Right, and this was before
2: AstroTurf came along. So let me just give you a sense of steel here. So uh, 1927, the first one uh, in Fairyland. By 1930, three years later, Garnet Carter had started 25,000 thousand courses across the nation. It was a, it was a
3: boom. It was a boom. It, it, was, was, a boom. it yeah.
2: was absolutely a it all
1: franchised out.
2: Well, you know, he had a lot to do with them. The franchise model was a little different in the twenties than it oh. is now. But certainly he was not running twenty five thousand of them himself. That's yeah. right, but he would supply them and sell the equipment and they were predominantly in the South, but they were all over. I mean they you know wow. in three yeah.
3: years. At at one point in New York City, there were it was like a, there were reported to be 150 miniature golf courses in New York City. City? That's right. They were on the tops that's of right. buildings. I'm glad oh. you mentioned Rooftop that. miniature yep. golf was that a huge was thing. And this is one of those yep.
2: awesome localized things. Exactly. And yep. this was really sort of a, 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 a separate from the root of Garnet Carter or any of these other people that we talked about. Yeah, so that's the proud, uh, predominantly American history of miniature golf. Wow. And now I want to go play it. But golf. we didn't find the yep. wacky ones right. with King
1: Kong and a banana. Oh, yeah. and-
2: And so today, I have a tradition with my friends of whenever we uh, go to Las Vegas, we will go play miniature golf for money, you know, skins style. (laughs) Do you guys know what skins style golf is? Naked. (laughs) (laughs) It's not like shirts versus skins. You call it skins like uh, you put money up for each hole. So when we go play, we'll play miniature golf. So we each chip in a dollar per hole. Whoever wins the hole wins that pot. And if there's a tie, it rolls over to the next hole.
1: I imagine if we had a good job brain mini golf course, there would be one where it's like... A giant butt of a beaver and <laughs> right. To oh, hit yeah, the golf ball the into 18. his butthole. The
3: <laughs> yeah. You get it in the butthole and then it's, it's gone sorry. forever. That's yeah. right. Yeah. That's
0: right. <laughs> so I'm going to talk about two minis. One is the mini car and the other one is the mini skirt. And they are related to each other. Hmm. Huh. Yes. So first I'll talk about the mini car. So... It started in England, or it was made by the British Motor Company. The Mini Cooper? I'm talking about the Mini Cooper. Okay. But when it first came out, it wasn't owned by Cooper. It was the Mini, and it was owned by the British Motor Company. Mm. It was under production uh, by the BMC from 1959 until 2000, and then BMW got the rights to it and then started distributing it. It was really fuel-efficient, which was super important because of the Suez crisis, the 1956 Suez crisis, where Britain and the French and Israelis had kind of a diplomatic, military... (laughs) Dust up. I like that. There was a petrol rationing going on in the UK. Oh, it's how been.
1: very British of you. So so the, my lorry with petrol.
0: <laughs> so uh, the, British, the big British cars were going out of style, and the little German bubble cars were rising, were booming, because they were way more fuel efficient. The British motor company did not like that German cars were becoming... Mm, the thing that don't step. <laughs> they wanted to compete, so they came up with a little car that could fit in a 10 by 4 by
2: 4 box... They, I mean, I just want to jump in and say, like, if you're just thinking, like, this is an earlier version of the the modern minis you see today. No, these th- these are small. They are way smaller than the current oh, minis. Oh, really? They are tiny. tiny. If you see, I've like seen one of smaller than a
3: Volkswagen Beetle, basically?
2: They are smaller than a Beetle. They, they're closer to, okay. like, those smart cars than they are oh, to wow. a Beetle.
0: Yeah. Okay. But it was a huge hit. It was a huge hit. Rock stars and famous people were driving them. Everybody mm. loved them. They were British and they were fuel efficient. So mm. they were really the car of the 60s. Very mod. Yeah. Like yeah. you think of like um, mod squad. Yeah. kind of. Yeah. So how is it related to the miniskirt? Go on. Mini skirts were also a British invention of the early 60s. And, you know, people had worn short skirts before in the ancient times. Like, it's not, it's not new that people were wearing thigh bearing, you mm. know, outfits, both men and women. But the mini skirt became this fashion craze in Britain. This woman named Mary Quant is a, a designer and she's known for inventing the mini skirt and she named it. And she named it the mini ah, after the car. Oh, know. because it's so popular. Yeah. She, it was her favorite kind of car. So she
1: named the skirt after the car. That's right.
2: My skirt is to regular skirts what the mini is to regular cars. That's a good bit that of is branding. Good. Yeah. That is
1: That's a really good trivia question. I bet that one day that's going to come up. Our podcast is nearing the end. And I have a last quiz segment. And this is about shrinking and miniature stuff. So uh, get your buzzers ready. I want to preface this with the actual science of shrinking. We see in a lot of sci-fi stuff and Mm -hmm. in literature about shrink ray guns and pew 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 and you know you turn small or superheroes doing that. Not to burst your bubble, but that's impossible. No It, it It is impossible. Shrinking actually doesn't make sense because uh, uh, unless you have to miniaturize the the atoms, right? Yeah, you can't too.
2: miniaturize the yeah. atoms. The mass has to go somewhere, otherwise, right. yeah. <laughs> exactly.
1: And um, Isaac Asimov actually had a really good analogy, kind of illustrating the difficulty of it. Is if you shrink a dude down, a tiny brain and a tiny man would be the size of an insect, composed of <laughs> like
3: stupid, <laughs> stupidest person. He would be a
1: stupid person yeah. because you can't shrink the atoms, and right. it, it can only can take as much space. So, right. you know, yeah. you'd be smart as an ant. Not yeah. to say the ants are dumb, yeah. but, you know, why I mean.
2: The other thing I always remember reading, like, with regard to, like, you know, Gulliver's Travels, was, like, if you were a tiny, small, you know, Lilliputian, let's say, mm-hmm. you wouldn't actually be able to exist in our world, because things like the surface tension of water don't scale down to your size. Mm-hmm. Like, oh. you could drown in, like, a few drops of water because it would cling to you. Oh. You wouldn't oh, be able right. to control fire, because you can't build a tiny little, a little fire, fire like that. Fire burns at the right. fire burns. <laughs> things things are in the world around... Us don't scale with you. Oh, okay.
1: So here I have a quiz about famous movies, mm. about shrinking. Get your buzzers ready, and this is our last quiz segment. What family movie featured the extremely iconic Cheerios scene? Honey, I Shrunk the Kids? Correct. Oh. Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. What character got miniaturized in Charlie and the Chocolate Factory? Full name.
3: Chris, Mike, TV.
1: By what invention for a bonus point?
3: Oh, that is um, it, it, Wonka Vision. Yes, yes. Wonka Vision. Mm,
1: the television yeah. chocolate uh, camera. All right. What are the three items that Alice in Alice in Wonderland used to make her body grow smaller? Name three items. Uh,
3: um. There was a a potion that she drank.
1: Ding 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 ding.
3: There was a. Mushroom that she could become smaller, and
2: <laughs>
1: it. I don't know. Oh, oh.
2: oh. oh. uh, it, it was a cake, right? Yeah. Or a piece of cake, a pastry, something.
1: No, the cake made her grow bigger. Yes. Oh, it was, oh. A, it was a fan, a little fan that she, oh, was she a fan. fanned herself
3: until she that's right.
1: What zany 80s sci fi film was produced by Steven Spielberg and starred Meg Ryan?
3: Oh. Inner space.
1: Correct. Uh,
3: yeah. uh, and uh, Dennis, Quaid Dennis Quaid was shrieking. Right. Yes.
1: Yes. Technically, what was the in, space uh, referring the, the to? In,
3: the inner part of the body of Martin Short. Correct. Yes. <laughs> yes. 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 This, this was played on HBO every day.
1: All right. What Studio Ghibli Japanese animated film was based on an English children novel called The Borrowers?
3: Oh, this is the secret world of Arietti. Yes,
1: yes, about tiny people who lived in the walls and floors of uh, normal humans. Yep. Yeah, very good. Excellent film. Yeah. Great score. If you guys love film scores like I do. Mm. All right. Oh. Lilliputian <laughs> yeah. is another word for describing something tiny in size. Where did the word first appear in? <laughs> Dana, Scullivers travels. <laughs> yes, uh, Scullivers travels by Jonathan Swift. That's right. I actually never thought of that. The little people making fire. It's like yeah. it's not like a mini fire. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. Fire. You, you
2: didn't scale a bubble of physics around with you. <laughs>
1: right. Good job, you guys. That is the end of our show. All about mini things. Thank you guys for joining me. I thank you guys, listeners, for listening. Hope you learn a lot about tiny liquor, tiny golf, tiny dogs, tiny tunes. And you can find us on iTunes on Stitcher and on SoundCloud and of course our website, goodjobrain.com and check out our sponsor audible.com and we'll see you guys next week. Bye. 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 <laughs> An
3: official message from Medicare.